family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey everybody, welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strong, the president of Paradigm Security Services, and we're excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We're coming to you from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. A little quick uh, hit for my sponsor, uh, Sosby's Garage. They are looking, if you're a technical mechanic and really looking for a job, and I mean a good one, they're not looking for somebody that just wants to sit around and draw hours. They're really a good one. They're looking for a top technician. Uh, 678-825-2127. That's Sosby's Garage in Loganville. I want to, each week we plan on featuring businesses in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. And we talk about the people that serve Gwinnett and the, and the state. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we will touch on that and all related aspects of security through the course of each show. And one thing that I can't... Uh, think would security would tag any more than along with would be something like the Supreme Court of Georgia. And our guest today is Miss Beth Beskin. She is a candidate statewide for the Supreme Court of Georgia, and that is a statewide uh, vote on your ballot you know, on the 9th. And, you know, there is so much, and I know everybody's familiar with it, there's so much going on right now uh, with the governor and the discussion about uh, the Supreme Court and appointing somebody. And, and, you know, it leaves a lot of questions out there. And I have just the person that's running for one of those, for that seat on there, that she is the perfect person to get some straight answers for because, like I said, there's a lot going on. And a lot of it is really hard for the layman to understand. And I'll just consider, even though I've had so much time in law enforcement, spent so many hours in courts, I'm still a layman on this stuff, too. So I know that there's a lot of people who don't understand what's going on. So I want to get introduced Miss Beth, 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 Beth Beskin. <laughs> that, you know, say that three times in a row in a hurry. Slowly. Yeah, slowly. <laughs> but um, kind of, Beth, it's so good to have you here. Uh, tell us exactly what the heck is going on and kind of take us slow through this process. I know that you've been reading uh, all the, the opinions that have come down now on this, and you've got the view from both sides, so let us know what the real skinny is on this thing. Thank you, Rick, and thanks for asking me to be on your show today. So if I forget to um, address everything you just asked, circle back and remind me what I forgot to talk about. But oh, I, will. I am running for the Supreme Court of Georgia um, in March, I did two things. I filed a lawsuit against the Secretary of State because the election to determine Justice Blackwell's successor was canceled. 
I filed that lawsuit called a petition for writ of mandamus, and um, one other potential candidate filed a very similar suit. Those were just resolved last week by the Georgia Supreme Court, so we will circle back and talk about that opinion and its implications. But that same week, I filed the qualification materials to challenge an incumbent, and that is the race I'm on the ballot for June 9th. The reason I did that, I was traveling down parallel tracks because it was announced in late February that Justice Blackwell is going to resign in November right. and announced at the same time that the governor's going to appoint his successor. So although the Blackwell election should have been happening right now, well, really yesterday, the elections were supposed to have been yesterday, continued to postpone to June 9th, it was announced that that election was called off or canceled. It truly was on the Secretary of State's website on Sunday, March 1st, as an election to be filled at, you know, by election on, on May 19th. I thought that was wrong. I thought it was legally wrong because I didn't think Blackwell's seat was vacant. Vacancy is what triggers the governor's power of appointment. Right. In three important respects, the Supreme Court agreed with me in its opinion last Thursday, but I've been a lawyer for 30 years now, and I know that things don't ever end fast, usually don't end fast, and don't necessarily in the way you think they will or should so at the same time i know I, th I challenged an incumbent why did i do that because the georgia constitution guarantees that we as citizens elect our judges and justices for the constitutional scholars out there that's article 6 section 7 paragraph 1 of the georgia constitution and it says we elect our justices for six-year terms well, just about everybody gets the seat by appointment. There aren't any elections onto the court. And I think after this Supreme Court decision from last Thursday, there will be even fewer of those. And I, I looked at all of that and I said, you know, the way I can actually get on the ballot is to challenge an incumbent. And I think there will be more of this in the future because I think the natural result of the Supreme Court's decision last Thursday is that people will challenge incumbents. And so I went into the week of qualifying saying I'm going to do one to two, one, two three things, one, one, two, or three. I am going to attempt to qualify for the Blackwell seat because I don't think it's vacant and I think that the election is scheduled. If I'm not allowed to qualify for the Blackwell seat, I will file a petition for writ of mandamus, which I did on Wednesday, the right. day ahead of the other um, uh, litigant, John Barrow. Um, and then if the administration does not relent or change its mind, I'm going to challenge an incumbent on Friday. And I did all of those things. And I waited until right before the close of qualifying, hoping that um, the administration would, would reverse course. But I am on the ballot. A lot of people are confused about that. And so I am running to get elected. I think I've got the best qualifications. But if I win, um, I will be the first person to ever unseat a sitting Supreme Court justice. And incidentally, I will also be the first woman elected initially onto the Supreme Court rather than appointed onto the Supreme Court. Well, one thing that I think is important, you know, is that the reason you're doing it? Uh, is it so that you will have the notoriety of being the woman that did it or the first person that did it or you know kind of I think it's important that because I know what your view right. is on that so I think it's important that you get that out no I'm doing this because I want to serve on the Supreme Court and for me that means running for the seat and getting elected I actually started running for the Supreme Court last year there was another justice you know there's only nine justices on the Georgia Supreme Court we've talked about two seats now we're talking about a third Justice Robert Benham announced last April 30th I think um, of 2019 that he was going to retire this year. Um, 
and for all the listeners out there, the words retire and resign sound a lot alike, but they are totally different in their ramifications for justices. So last April 30th, Justice Robert Benham announced he was going to retire this year. He would have been on the ballot right now as well. Um, and it triggered um, a ca- campaigns. Four people started running for his seat, including me. So I spent all last fall campaigning for the Supreme Court because I want to serve on the Supreme Court. And then in December, he announced December 5th that he was going to resign instead of retire. The effect of that was the campaign, all the campaigns immediately stopped. Um, His successor has since been appointed. So the citizens were going to have the opportunity to have an open seat contested Supreme Court election for the first time since, okay, all you legal uh, scholars out there, the last time. Um, trivia buffs. The last time that happened was 1982. The wow. last time we had a contested open seat Supreme Court election, which is what the Benham election would have been, was in 1982. Another interesting fact, the last time there was an, a Supreme Court contest, meaning more than one person on the ballot, was in 2006. So yes, these justices have to run for re-election. Um, and that's another interesting point. Hold that thought. They have to run for re-election every six years. They're usually on the ballot alone. It was 14 years ago that somebody challenged an incumbent and I would like to point out I'm running against an incumbent but it is not my opponent's re-election because he's never been elected to the Supreme Court it is his initial election to confirm the governor's appointment appointment. correct and so I have a lot of friends who are judicial candidates and many get their jobs initially via appointment but when they go to run in the next election that's why their yard signs say keep Judge X rather than reelect because you're not reelecting them, you're electing them for the first time. So um, I want to serve on the Supreme Court. For me, the path is to get elected. And another thing, Rick, um, I've thought about this and I've looked at appointees, and I'm now 60 years old and I love my age. Um, but I, I can't recall a 60 year old getting appointed to a court in Georgia, certainly not to an appellate courtship, um, um, court position. So um, back to we've only ever had five women. They were all appointed. They were all appointed at a far younger age than the age of 60. All judges usually are appointed at at an age far younger than 60. I'll say that a few people running for judge right now, including the other person who wanted to run for the Benham seat, um, I was the third youngest in that race. So I think all the other older lawyers had thought, well, if I'm going to get on the bench, it's going to be by running for the seat. Well, and, you know, personally, I'm one of these strange people that, that feels like, Appointments are great, but I'd really rather see people elected to this so that there's some kind of accountability. Um, you know, you have a say-so in it, whereas if it's just an appointment, you're, you, know, you really have no say-so as a voter or as a citizen. Well, I would say this. Um, eight of our nine current justices were appointed, and clearly a governor is not going to appoint someone whose political philosophy is fundamentally different than that of the governor. And... As we've seen, as we've all come through the developments in the Blackwell situation culminating in that decision last week, it really makes one wonder about um, the the independence of the judiciary because it's a separate branch of government. The judiciary should be totally separate from the executive branch, but I feel like there is such influence on the judiciary via the appointment power that I think it should give voters pause and cause every voter in Georgia to think we have a constitutional right to vote for judges and justices. Let's just go do it and welcome judicial race contests. I I totally agree. Um, 
you know, there's there's a lot to be said about being able to vote for somebody and right. people have to run. They have to put their qualifications out there. They have to put their, their thoughts of the issues out there. You know, what are your qualifications for being a judge? I've been a lawyer for a long time. That'll, and I'm kind of ju- start. I'm kind of judgy as my kids would say. Um, <laughs> truly, Rick, I'm a rules person. I like the rules. I'm a very rational, analytical person. And I've often said, I, I really think the decision rendered by a court should be the same regardless of who the judges are, especially in appellate court position. You take the record as it comes up from appeal below. You look over here and you find the law. You take A, the record on appeal, B, the law, combine it together, and you should get the same answer at the end. I mean, maybe that's being idealistic or altruistic on my part. But that's how I am as a person. I am a fair and impartial person. The Judicial Code of Conduct requires that. You wouldn't want anybody to be a judge or justice that you don't think has those qualifications. But I've practiced law for 30 years in different types of law. I don't think there's many things that would come before the Supreme Court I would not have some base knowledge of. Um, Initially, I came out of law school doing an esoteric kind of law, ERISA litigation, employee benefit type litigation, Mm -hmm. which is also tax litigation. and then I, I've done employee benefit work and litigation, both for the um, plaintiffs as well as defendants. I represented back in the 90s a lot of um, just uh, actually Delta employees who had missed early retirement windows or were seeking disability benefits or whatever. It's very interesting work. I ended up practicing family law for 15 years. And when you're a family lawyer, you're, you're dealing with the issues that affect people at life's most vulnerable time. You're dealing with their financial security and you're dealing with their families. And um, and then after I served in the Georgia General Assembly for four years from 15 to 19, I worked in the Attorney General's office as an Assistant Attorney General, and I really thought I would have that job forever, or at least indefinitely. Um, it turned out to be a very short stint there because I had to leave that position in order to run for the Supreme Court because you can't be political and have that job, although the Attorney General himself is an elected position. Everybody else has to be non-political or apolitical. And I'm currently a partner um, at a law firm, Freeman, Mathis, and Gary. So I've done commercial litigation, um, represented businesses, governments, educational entities. And then I, I do think I have a, a lot of relevant experience from my four years uh, representing my House District 54 in the Georgia General Assembly. I passed a lot of laws. I'm not running to be a lawmaker. Um, the, ju- the, law, the, the job of a judge and justice is to apply the law as written. That's it. Straightforward. Um, I, I kind of joke that some, some judges are applying the law as wishing, as they were wishing it would be, but, but that's not the law. That's not what a judge does. I do think there's a lot of room for judges and justices to signal the General Assembly through concurrence opinions, hey, you might want to um, uh, think about this and revisit that issue and, and pass some legislation about that. Well, I know that there's a tremendous – you can see a lot of people today that um, – want to go out there and a lot of judges let me rephrase that you know prime example of all the stuff you're seeing on tv right now that want to you know the heck with the law the heck with what it says i'm gonna do it my way and you know that's something i think that's bothering a lot of citizens in the united states both conservative liberal republican democrat red blue whatever you want to call them is that uh there's a lot of people talking about judges that just don't get that blind look and just take the take the facts just the facts and uh, go from those and from what I hear from you that's that's basically how you do it you you look at the the facts as they exist how they apply how they've been applied 
how they've been ruled upon, and then make your judgment. I think you're talking about judicial activism, and there's no Pretty room much. for that. <laughs> um, uh, that that's antithetical to me and everything I'm all about. I mean, it's not the job. The job of the judiciary is to find the law to apply it as written and to signal the, the lawmakers if they need to revisit or think about a particular area. But it's interesting that you say that, Rick, because um, I'm, I'm in a race. I'm campaigning against an, an opponent, an incumbent, and um, I've seen some things put out there by supporters of his. And, you know, I don't know if I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot of it. And I've been called everything from a far-right ideologue to a far-left, who even knows, I can't remember. Yeah. But... <laughs> One of those um, one of those emails referred to me as uh, that I would be an activist judge, and I have no idea why anyone would say that about me. Anyone who knows me knows that that's just not that's, your style. That's not me. That is not how I am. Um, I think I'm a fair, impartial person, and I think this this job would fit my skill set. Getting elected is going to be very difficult. I need everybody to go to the ballot, please, and vote for me, and tell all your friends to do the same. Well, I know that you've held you've held the offices before in the state, so you know how the you know how the elected offices and how politics works. And I think it's important that our judges stay as far away from politics as they can. Uh, is that kind of where you come from on that? It's interesting, Rick, because I've run for partisan office before. When you serve in the General Assembly, you you run representing a party. Every now and then, there's somebody who's an independent, but that's pretty rare. But most of our judicial seats in Georgia are nonpartisan. The Supreme Court clearly is. There are some exceptions for local, some pro, some county probate courts, for example, are partisan. But so it's nonpartisan. But boy, is it political! It's political. Let me tell you, I'm in the middle of it. Um, apparently, it's political because when you look at um, the interests behind maintaining the status quo, since I filed to challenge my opponent on March 6th. My opponent has raised more than $500,000. Go look at his um, ethical disclosures. You can go there by going to ethics.ga.gov, search for his name, click on contributions. Looking through financial disclosures is extremely interesting. Look at um, uh, his supporters, many of whom are attorneys who have cases, obviously, who come to court. Yeah, and that's just unfortunately the nature of the system we have now um I, I don't know if it's possible for the people who would have the ability to do so to get um money out of judicial elections i don't know how that would work but it's not like it's a um a blind trust or a lockbox judges know who has contributed to their campaigns and I'm not expressing an opinion one way or another about what I think about that or how I would rule about that if there were some legislation about that that changed the system as it is now. But the system that we have, it is very, it is totally transparent who contributes to judicial races, and many of those have interest before the court. Well, it's, it's just like a lobbyist. It's basically what they're doing. Is a lot of times that money is lobbying for just future consideration they're not asking for preference uh they're asking for consideration but when you're talking about legislators and lobbyists everybody knows that you run for the legislature on a platform and people might like your platform or not or not and then lobbyists everybody knows 
that their job is to influence legislation as well as educate, um, and they contribute to campaigns, and everybody knows that. They are seeking to influence an outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's a totally different thing in the context context of judicial elections because judges are sworn by the code of judicial conduct to be fair and impartial, to not be influenced in any way. Is that even possible? Yeah, I, yeah I, that's a good point you said, is it even possible? You know, it's when you look at it, you wonder if all of these donations, like I say, are just for the consideration, to put it, um, to put it nicely, so that they're not asking you to, to rule their way. I mean, that would be illegal. They're asking are eth- unethical. They're ask- I think that getting all this money from all of these attorneys it has a tendency to just hope that when their case comes up, somewhere along the back of the mind, it'll be remembered. And that results in a lot of donations from a lot of attorneys and big bucks. And I like the fact that I know that uh, you don't have big bucks that are contributed to you. So there's no there's no favors there's no even thoughts of it there's no even hints of it which I think is good. Well, let's say this: I've got to play the game we've got right now, mm-hmm. and the game we've got is it's fair for anyone to contribute up to seven thousand dollars to my campaign, and I would welcome all of your listeners to do that. Absolutely, <laughs> and I don't have a problem with that at all. Right, right, right. Um, I do wonder um, whether not not just my race but all races here in georgia judicial Mm -hmm. elections whether all of those donations would still be made if they went into a a, an opaque lock lock box and the candidate could not see who those contributions came from my point exactly right and i want to say one more thing i've talked about things that my opponent's supporters have said whether he's known those things have been said or not i don't know but he did um, send an email to his supporters on April 29th, and I have a copy of it. And in that email, he says, this election is not about political opportunism. And I have mentioned this in a forum we had, and I would like for him to articulate what he meant by that, because as a lawyer, it is my job to um, you know, delve into it and interpret that. Uh, I'm sure he carefully thought about what he said there, but this election is not about political opportunism. He was either calling himself or me, a political opportunist. Um, Well, back to the only way I'm going to get on the court is to get elected to it. And our Constitution says we elect our judges and justices. And as a person of my age, I'm taking this opportunity. This is the only opportunity I have. So if you want to disparage that somehow by calling that political opportunism, I have to turn that to my advantage and say, I'm grabbing this opportunity and let's go do it. Well, elections are the one thing that I'm glad that we have the opportunity to do. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and it, uh, and we have our choice of candidates as well. And some exactly. systems, citizens get to vote, but for only an approved slate of candidates. So maybe some people of the powers that be aren't happy that I'm in this election challenging my opponent. But like I said, I think I'm the best qualified candidate in my race, and I'm giving the voters that opportunity. Well, one thing that, uh, that's one of the great things about our country is, is you have the discussions. You have the little bit of dissent when you're you have different people with different ideas uh and i like the fact that when there's a little bit of upheaval then obviously somebody's thinking a little bit differently than somebody else and and to have the opportunity for the people that think a little bit differently to vote for those people is what right is what america is all about it's about reaching out and having that opportunity to to put somebody in office that thinks the way you do 
or at least right. on some of the things thinks the way you do. And thank God, not all the things everybody thinks like me, or we'd all be in trouble. But um, you I, know, I agree with that. I think that's an interesting point, and I've often said that back to where we were 15 minutes ago, I guess, that a judge shall be fair and impartial, and I think the decision rendered should be the same. But I do think it is um, relevant for voters to look at the judicial candidates and to find out more about those people as people because they bring that experience with them, that life experience with them to the bench. And so go to my website, BethBeskin.com. I explain how I got to where I am challenging an incumbent. I've got a picture of the happy family there, which I kind of joke, you know, Life looks a lot better when you send out your Christmas card, and you 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 remember how many takes it took to get there. <laughs> um, I've been married to my husband Jim Beskin for 36 years, and we've got two daughters. Um, one is 26, and she's a business consultant in Boston. Our older daughter Allison is 29. She's a lawyer, um, married to another lawyer. They practice in New York City, expecting our first grandchild in August. Who's going to be a lawyer? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> my my lawyer daughter was actually a flute player before she was a lawyer. She had cool. two degrees in flute performance, and she still loves that. She practices and performs professionally in New York as well her. as practices um, practices law. But um, I think people can read my bio or read about me. I will answer my phone as long as people call me, 404-824-4344. I think I have a, a lot in common with a lot of voters and I think in in me, a lot of people see a kindred spirit. Well, one of the important reasons that I do a lot of uh, political people, and I say that with a wide open frame there, uh, that are running for office and stuff like that at this time of year is because the idea is people need to be informed about who they're voting for. They don't need to just, well, my neighbor says we're voting for this person, I'm going to vote for that person or my boss says he's going to vote for this one and I better vote for this one. Um, You know, the the idea is a person needs to be informed. They really need to go out. And I'm hoping that through this show and talking with people such as yourself that I can give you all a platform where not that you run for office, but that you lay out who you are, what you stand for, what your thoughts are, the way that you interpret things in your case, um, the the approach that you have to sitting on a bench, what's it all about, that type of stuff. I think that's that's more important than a lot of things that I could do in trying to reach out and get somebody in here I'd like to talk to about business. I, I, I just, that's one of the formats that I think is important today because mm-hmm. we've got a lot resting on these elections that are coming up. And, and it's this is an important time in our lives in our uh, as a as a nation. And I think it's just one of the most important things we can do is get the message out. Well, absolutely. And I thought about, as I was coming here to be on your show today, this is business radio, but boy, does the Supreme Court affect every business here in our state. You know, nine justices who are the final arbiter of the law as it affects every person and every business here in Georgia. So, yes, you can bet that law is business. Well, and not only that, it's security. There's not a single thing that goes on in the field of private security, law enforcement, just public security, or anything in those areas that in some way is not affected in, at one time or the other by a Supreme Court ruling. Well, absolutely, and there have been some in the last couple of years, but I can't talk about any of those. Uh, but I know true. the ones we're thinking of, and you know, I can't talk about any pending matters or impending matters. Or I must pledge to be fair and impartial, and I will, but believe me, I understand um, cases that have worked their way to the Supreme Court that affect 
the whole Everybody. security spectrum here in Georgia. Yep. Yes. And I'm all, you know, I'm all for a, a tougher security system. I'm all for a tougher Secretary of State. I'm all for better rules and better training and everything else. But we need to do it from a legal standpoint and, a, and something that the liabilities and stuff are covered. But people need to do a better job of training and better job of being, you know, in private security. But by the same token, they got to do a better job in law enforcement. That's my background of 25 years. A lot of people, they need a lot more training in law enforcement, too. Well, I respect law enforcement. Absolutely. I've never been in law enforcement. I've been in law for 30 years. Well, I'm all you. about law and the rules, but I have a huge respect. When I served in the General Assembly, I got to go on a ride around with one of the Fulton County Marshals as they were visiting community supervision office. And it was an extremely interesting day. And um, I enjoyed meeting the officer. I, I enjoyed meeting her. Um, is it a, called a probation? Probationee, probationer, people on probation well, that uh, she was supervising, but recruits and stuff. No, no, we would go to the homes and visit oh, the people oh, who oh, were on probation yep. to make sure yep. that they were accountable. They were there, whatever. But anyway, I enjoyed the day, but I never realized how heavy those bulletproof vests are. Oh yeah, uh, they get heavy and you put heavy all and that, hot. <laughs> you put all that stuff around your waist too. I mean, it, it. Right. I know. I used to have a lot of back trouble. Really. From carrying all that stuff. It's, it's it's heavy. How many years did you work in law enforcement? Twenty five. Here in Gwinnett. City of Atlanta. Okay. And it was uh you know last fifteen years of criminal investigations ended is white collar crime over white collar crime, but it was uh it was an interesting interesting occupation. I wouldn't want to go with, back there. I don't think, but you know with all that's going on today, sometimes it I I feel a tug to, you know, right. to go back into something with helping Gwinnett. I did a ride along with Gwinnett not. Right. When I went through Leadership Gwinnett, uh-huh. uh, I ride along with them. Is It just kind of reminded me of back in the day, it just like I'd never left the seat. It was just an unbelievable feeling. Well, I can tell you liked your career in law, law enforcement when you were there, but if you said you were there for, what, 25 years? Yep, I wouldn't You're clearly like 25 it. years older now than you were when you started, and some some things I think are better for the, for the younger or younger at heart. Um, well, I've been retired so. now 22 <laughs> years. Oh, my gosh. I can't even do the math on that, but you're not I was 11 20 when plus I started. 25 I was plus 11 20. when I started. I got that, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Beth, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and talking about uh, running for statewide Supreme Court in Georgia. Um, but more important, talking about your positions and your thoughts, your background, uh, just basically who Beth is and and – especially about kind of explaining for us this thing that we keep reading about with the appointment and the the the, the governor trying to get it thing of my head but the governor and what he's done and and what is it it's nice to see how it actually affects things which right. i don't know i, I was not clear on that because i know you're going to be on the ballot no matter what and so it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out Thank you. I'm excited. I'm um, looking forward to the election June 9th. I'm hoping to win. Um, and with everybody's vote, I can. So. Well, one last time before we end, give your contact information. If anybody would like to make a donation to you, uh, how to get in touch with you, what to do. and. Okay. Everybody has my cell phone number. That's 404-824-4344. You can call or text me. I'd love to put a yard sign in your yard if you want to text me a location. 
And to find out more about me or to donate to my campaign, go to www.bethbeskin.com. That is B-E-S-K-I-N, not B-A-S-K-I-N. Not like in Carol Baskin? (laughs) No, no relation. (laughs) We were talking about that earlier. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you I appreciate it very much. and, And thank you for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. Remember, you can join us live every Wednesday at 1130 in the morning. Or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com, clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and then click on Case in Point. Join us next week at 1130 when we will talk with business leaders and people running for office about their businesses and related security issues in today's world. Thanks again to my guest, Beth Beskin, and for our producer, Mike, and Miss Amanda sitting over in the corner, and JJ, who's popped in on us as an intern. I'm Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.